Right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Elijah of the Tal of the Talmud with Rabbi Silber. Today is the second class in this three-part series. Uh, if you're just just joining us for the second part and you want to catch up on the first one, you can do that on our Facebook page at grisha.org slash at, at facebook.com slash grisha institute slash videos. Also note, which I'm also posting in the chat. It's a pleasure to learn with everyone this afternoon or evening, depending on where you are. And we will be learning today from a variety of sources. There isn't a main source packet, so I'll be posting the links for what Rabbi Silver is reading from in Sfaria, as well as sharing it on screen. Um, if you have questions during today's class, please feel welcome to ask in chat. You can do this on both Facebook Live and Zoom. Both chats will be monitored. Um, if you are if you've gotten an invitation to panelists, I recommend you take it. That's a great way to ask questions directly, see, be seen, here on your camera even. Um, if you don't want to do that but and stay an attendee, but you have questions, that's fine. You're welcome to ask in chat or use the raise hand feature when Rabbi Silver pauses for questions. And I'll make sure you can ask your question directly. And with that, all right, good morning, good afternoon, Rabbi Silver. Okay. Um... All right, so we started this three-part series on Elio, the image of Elio in the, in the Talmud. That's the subject. The Elio is a bit, very big topic. There's Elio in the Tanakh, there's Elio in the Talmudim, and there's Elio in the Midrashim and folklore and some of this Mirod from Motzei Shabbat. There are many Elios, it's a gigantic topic. But the, our focus of these three sessions is Elio in the Talmudim. Um, last week we saw the story of Anan, Rabbi Anan, and the context over there about Sugi is about taking bribes. And of course, not going over that again, but Rabbi Anan had a situation over there, not that he took a bribe, he refused to take a bribe actually, but he did something which caused indirectly, because he was misunderstood, caused someone else to act with a, some amount of favoritism towards a particular litigant in the case. At which point Elio would, would regularly, regularly come and teach Rabbanan, stop showing up for a while, Rabbanan fasts and prays. Elio returns to teach him, but when he returns to teach him, Rabbanan is embarrassed or ashamed, but he did and he so. goes inside a box. And Elio teaches him when he's sitting in this box. That's the Gemara in Tuvot, and we discussed that last week. And it's a well-known story about Eliyahu. And now we have another, probably even more famous story of Eliyahu that I wanted to begin with. And this is not in the Talmud Bavli, it's in the Talmud Yerushalmi, as it's known. And it's like quite a famous story, and the context of it is very important as well, the larger context. So I'll read it to you. It begins, it's towards the end of the eighth chapter of Tractate Trumo. It has nothing to do with, uh, with, with Truma at all. And it's a, 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 it's a text that is often, often quoted um, in other contexts, and you'll see why in a, in a moment. Um, so it's not at the end, it's towards the end. You gotta scroll back <clears throat> and we'll see if we can find it, keep going back. Are you towards the beginning or towards the end of the chapter? Wait, wait, slow, one second. No, is this, sorry, it's Kayla, is this the beginning of chapter eight or the end of chapter eight? The end of chapter eight. It's the end of chapter eight? One second. Yep. Um, I think you have to go back a little more. It's hard to find anything here, you know? Uh, one second. Hold on one sec. I think still go back a little more. Stop a second. Um, it's hard to find it in the, in the Rushami. It's very hard to find anything here, you know? Um, maybe go back and drop more. No, keep going back. No, 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 no. Um, no, no, no. You started at the end of the chapter where you started? Yes, I did. You said the end of the chapter. I did say that, but hold on one second. Hold on one second. Just one second. 
I can't find it. I spent forever trying to find this thing. You start with the very end of the chapter, huh? Yeah, end this is chapter eight. Yeah, this is eight four in the Yerushalmi. I can't even find where this is in my. This is the Yerushalmi I'm using. It's very difficult to locate anything. I may just have to read it to you, but. Um, this is A4. That's the beginning of the chapter. So scroll to the end of the chapter. It's the end of that chapter. Scroll down towards the end. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. This is nine. What? Yeah. You must have a different order of this thing. I don't know. I have to read from my text. That's okay. nine? Yes. Scroll back to eight. Keep go, go back to the end of eight. This is the end of eight. Keep going. Stop a second. Stop a second. Stop. Keep going back and drop more. Otherwise, I'm still going to have to. Stop. Stop a second. Stop. Okay, go back and drop more. Drop more, stop. A little more. Go back and drop more. Stop. That's it. That's it. That's it. Stop. That's exactly it. Okay. We'll read. We'll we'll read it. Fine. That's it. Tony, you see that on top? And we'll yeah, so scroll down. We'll read the translation. It's Tony sealed b'nei Adam. I'll stop the Hebrew. Sealed b'nei Adam. Shohayim mahalchim baderech. Hogu lehem goyim. Okay, so this was the following. If you scroll down to the English now, you'll see the translation. There's a brighter. There was a group of people, it was stated, a group of people that are traveling, met by Gentiles, who said, give us one of you that we may kill him. And if you don't hand them this one person, will kill everybody. The very famous case. And these kinds of things happened not so long ago. Give us one person. If you don't give us the one person, we'll kill everyone. So in this Abraita, it says that you're not permitted to hand over anybody. If, if all of them will be killed, they'll all be killed, including the one person that they, that they including everybody. So you, you hand over one, say there are 10 people, you can't hand over one, all 10 will be killed. That's the, that's the first part of it. Then the brighter continues, however, im yichadu, but if they singled out a particular person, they designated one person, then im yichadu, kagon sheva ben bichri, yimosu oto, v'yayar v'ayay hordu. Om rabbi shimon ben lachish, v'hu she'ehe chayav mito kesheva ben bichri. Fine. So the um so this is the famous dis dispute. Famous dispute according to one view. Um according to one view, if they singled somebody out, even an innocent person, give us X, innocent person. If you don't give us X, we'll kill everybody, including X. So according to one view, then you're permitted to hand over X, who's an innocent party. Um, according to the other view, that's Rabbi Yochanan. Rish Lakish says, no, if the person is innocent, you can't hold, hand over the innocent person. You can't hand over anybody. The prototypical story that they're referring to is the story the, towards the very end of the book of Shmuel, where the city is surrounded. A, a, a Yoav is chasing after Sheva ben Bichri. Who had rebelled against the king, and um, the uh, the uh, the town is surrounded, and Yoav and a woman stand, stands up and says, "Well, what, what do you want? You can't destroy a city. No, we don't want to destroy the city. We want Sheva ben Bichri, who rebelled against the king." So the woman says, "Wait here," and they kill this person, Sheva ben Bichri. They throw his head over the wall, and Yoav goes home. The dispute in the Yerushalmi 
famous dispute is the case of Sheva ben Bichri was permitted to kill him, but why? It's because they singled him out. Because he's going to die in any event. The presumption is the whole town will be killed. So he dies either way. So according to one view, Rabbi Yochanan, okay, so you have to, to kill him because in any event, he's, he's dead. And this way you save the rest of the town. Rachel Akash says, no. The case of Sheva ben Bechri was he was a wanted criminal. He was wanted by the king. He rebelled against the king. He was fair game. But otherwise, you can't hand him over. That's the famous dispute. And this dispute, actually, which seems like very crazy kind of case, these, these situations arose in, in Europe and during the Shoah. One of the Jewish dinners, I spoke about exactly this case, an actual case. But, so that's how it starts. So this is very well known. And by the way, just as an aside, there's a very important principle here. It's more than one important principle. But one principle is this. The Gemara actually in Sanhedrin talks about a different case. Someone came to Rava and said, the head of the town said to me, go and kill X. And if you don't kill X, I'm going to kill you. What should I do? So Rava said to him, you should be killed and not kill the other fellow. Who says your blood is redder than the other guy? Maybe his blood is redder than yours. In other words, you're not better than he is. What gives you the right to take someone else's life? No, you, you have to forfeit your own life under these circumstances. But the reason Rava gave is, who says his blood, who says he's better than you? Now that can't be the only reason for this rule because in the case over here, that reason would not apply. Because it's not about, about who says he's better than you, because that, that, this individual will die in either event, because they're going to kill all of them. So it's not about one being better than the other. It's about handing over someone who's doomed to save everybody else. And even then, both Rabbi Yochanan and Reish Lakish agree you can't do it, except if either they single somebody out. You have no right to make that choice, which person. Or not only that, according to the other view, only if he's guilty of something. But an innocent party can never be handed over. That's the dispute in the Rushalmi in Trumot, very well known. That's not our, but that's, but the story actually continues. Let's go beyond it now. So this is, we have no Eliyahu Hanavi yet. So he's, he's coming into the picture very soon. So we have to go back and read the rest of it. Just scroll up. Right. So now, says, fine. Ulabar Koshav, Chavash, Chavash Day, let's see. Ulabar Koshav, Tibate Machuta. Orak vi Ozal. Or vi Ozak Vegu Lord. Gabi Yeshua bin Levi. So there's this fellow, his name is Ulabar Koshav, and the king was seeking him. The king might use the, the king, the, he's wanted by the government. So he runs away to the city of Lud. And he runs to Yoshua ben Levi. Yoshua ben Levi is a very important person in the Talmud. Um, he's the same time as Rabbi Yochanan. He's known as a very pious person. And in the Talmud, he's the person that appears more often than anybody else in stories of, of Eliyahu Hanavi. He's the most prominent Amora that we always find, often find him in, con in connection with, with Eliyahu. Atun vi akhun medinta. So the, 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 gov, the, the, the armies of the governments came and surrounded. Amulahen, in let atun yahabin leilan, alan machmivan medinta. Exactly our case. The government said that if you don't hand him over, we're going to destroy the city. He's running to, to Lud, to the city of Lud. Shubin Levi's there. And the government surrounds the case and says, this is the guy we want. This uh, Ula, Bakoshav. He's wanted by the government, hand him over or else. If you don't hand him over, we'll destroy the city. So Yoshua ben Levi went out to the government, to the army or whatever. He spoke with them and he handed over this fellow. So he handed over Uva Rakoshav to the authorities. Now the story continues. So it says that Eliyo Hanavi, blessed memory, used to come and learn with um, 
with Yoshua ben Levi. But after this incident, he stopped coming. It's very similar to what we saw last week with Anan. He's running with this fellow, Yoshua ben Levi, one of the well-known and highly regarded Amoraim of the Bavli. But after this incident, he stopped coming. Some Tamatsomin, so we uh Yoshua ben Levi fasted, many fasts. Did and uh, Elio did, did then reappear to him. Amale, Elio said to him, Soros Elio said to him sarcastically, You think I want to come to Misorot? A Moser is someone who hands over Jews to the authority. It's considered a very serious crime to be a Moser. And it was it comes up in the Talmud and Talmudim. And it comes up also throughout Jewish history in the Middle Ages. What do you do with Jews who are informing on other Jews? Now, there's a whole there's a whole discussion about it in the Bible, in the Talmud, and the Rishonim, etc. It's considered a serious offense, so serious that even when it's um, not only to be most fair to hand over people, which of course is the most serious, even to hand over property to inform the government to, to expro expropriate property, etc. And the question is, the, 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 the limits of this rule, what constitutes Mesiro or not, is a big question. It comes up in many contexts. It could be a whole, a whole course in, its, in, and, in and of itself. But in any event, Elio said to him, what? You see, I'm going to come and, and, and reveal myself and come and, and learn with somebody who's a Moser? Yoshua ben Levi, you're handing people, choose over to the government. What, what, what do you say? I'm going to come to you? Or Maui? He says, what are you talking about, Elio? I just followed the Mishnah. It's what the Mishnah said. When they, when they surround the city, if they single somebody out, you can hand them over. It's what the Mishnah says. So what do you want from me? I'm following the Mishnah. And here's the key word. On my way, Elio said to him, Do you think this Mishnah is the Mishnah of the Hasidim? Now this obviously is a critical text in thinking about Elio Hanavi in the, in the Talmud Bavli. And the question is, what do those three words mean? Bezo Mishnat HaChasidim. He says, yes, you follow the Mishnah. But it's not my Mishnah, he says. This is not the Mishnah of the Hasidim. And here, this actually is a window, I think, to understanding the basic idea of Elio in the Talmud Bavli. And I would add, throw the Rushami in for good measure. What does it mean, Mishnah Chasidim? So here's the point, and here's the, the main point I wanted to make. It's a very simple point. The Eliyo Hanavi of the Babli comes under the general category of what we call here Chasidim. Within the Babli, there are Chasidim. Not to be confused with modern day Chasidim, it's not the same thing. So some modern-day Hasidim may in fact be Hasidim. But the Bavli has a, a particular type that it calls the Hasid. In fact, throughout the in the in the in the, in the Talmud, there's a peric, there's one chapter in the Talmud, which is called the chapter of the Hasidim. It's the third chapter of, of Tractate Tanit. A lot's been written about this. The, the Tractate of the Hasidim. The Hasid is a certain kind of person that walks in the world, but doesn't walk in the world the way the rabbis of the Mishnah walk in the world, because they're not Hasidim. But the Hasidim walk in the world completely differently. And the third chapter of Tanit has stories about these various Hasidim. Maybe the most famous of the Hasidim, but there are several of them, and they all come up in the third chapter of Tanit. We'll have, we'll have an opportunity to look at one story in, in Tanit shortly, but um, Probably the most famous Hasid is a fellow named Hanina Bendosa. There are a whole range of these people, Hanina Bendosa. Many of them, it's very striking, have the name Hanino or Hanan. Choni Hamagel, Choni, the circle drawer. His name is Choni. He's also a Hasid. Now, the question is what is, the, what is it about the Hasidim? How did the Hasidim function? What, what, what are they actually about? So let me make a couple of general comments about Hasidim in the, in the, in the Bavli. And um, 
Then we'll take a look at something in Masechet Tanit, and then we'll take a look at a uh, Gemara in Masechet Shabbat as well. Uh, maybe if we have time, one additional Gemara. So the Hasidim, there's certain things that are fundamental to the Hasidim. Um, they don't operate the way we operate. They're living in a different reality. Hanita uh, Ben Dosa, there's one of the stories that, just to give an example, uh, I think it's his daughter who wants to light candles for Shabbat and uh, she doesn't have any oil. So she goes back to her father and says, I have no oil to light the candles. Okay, so use, uh, so you, so use vinegar, it doesn't burn. So use vinegar. Says vinegar doesn't burn. And his response is, what do you mean? The same one who makes the oil burn can make the vinegar burn. That, 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 that sums it up basically. They're not walking in the world the way we walk in the world. They're walking and they have a different relationship. They, 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 they see God differently. They're functioning in a completely different world. And that's a very good example of, of this. And um, another example would be the, um, the Gemara has a story about also in that parak that Choni is walking, he's walking along in the, uh, he's walking in the, in the wintertime, walking home, and it starts to rain. He's, he's caught there in the rain. He says, please God, make it stop raining. So it stops raining. And then when he gets home, he says, please God, have it rain, and it starts raining. And the people comment about Choni. When it comes to Choni, what good do the prayers of the high priest on Yom Kippur do? You know, in the, in the Avodah on Yom Kippur, the high, the, we are praying for rain during the year. And then if you remember in the Avodah of Yom Kippur, it says, and let not the prayers of the travelers come before you. The prayers of the overage rocket, because when they're walking in the rain, they don't want it to rain, but it's good for the community to have rain. So God, let not the prayers of the, of the, of the travelers be efficacious. So the people commented, that prayer of the Kohen Gadol doesn't work in terms of Choni. In other words, the point about Choni is his relationship to God is completely different. And the Gemara has a whole range of, of stories about these Hasidim. And here's another element that relates to the Hasidim. The Hasidim have an otherworldly existence. Things like money, for example, they have no interest in it on any level. If, they, if money comes into their, if they, if they possess money, they usually give it away or they find some, some, some poor person to hand it to. There's another famous story in that third chapter of Tanit where there's a fellow who is a chassid. So whenever he gets anything, he just gives it away. So the, 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 the collectors, the, the charity collectors, when they see him, they actually run away from him because they know if they ask him, he'll give them everything, he'll have nothing for himself. That's the kind of, that's one of the um, qualities that the Hasidim have. Zero interest in, in anything uh, material, no interest whatsoever. Uh, their prayers are completely different. Choni HaMagel is a perfect example. Choni, the circle drawer. It's a mission in the third chapter of Tanit. People need rain. Choni draws a circle around himself and prays for rain. And it starts to rain a little bit. And uh, Choni says, God, I didn't ask for a little rain. I asked for a lot of rain. We need a lot of rain. Start to pour. And Choni says, that's too much. You're going to, it's too much. We want the right amount of rain. So it rains. So the rain wets up and they get the rain. The Mishnah. And one of the Tanaim says in the Mishnah about Choni, if you wouldn't be Choni, I would have put you, I, I would have excommunicated you. Because that's not the way one speaks to God. That's not the way one prays. But then he continues, but what can I do? You're like a child before, before his father. So in other words, the, the Hasidim basically have certain qualities. That's one of the basic themes of the third chapter of Tanit. And here's an additional theme of the third chapter of Tanit, which is a fundamental theme of the chapter, that the way we see the world is not the way it actually is. This is, we may see something one way, but in point of fact, the reality is very different. Don't believe what you see, because there's a different reality. That's one of the pervasive themes of the third chapter of Tanit. And the point of it is that, the core point, is that these Hasidim, 
as I said before, are not walking in the world that we walk in. They have a completely different relationship to God. They're otherworldly. They are essentially ascetics and they see things differently. Their behaviors are different. The whole third chapter, which is one of the most amazing chapters in the Talmud Bavli, the chapter of the Hasidim, it's about having a different way of seeing the world. And the, I, the claim that I make here is that if you want to understand Eliyo Hanavi of the Talmud Bavli, you have to understand something. Eliyo Hanavi for the Bavli comes under the category of what we would call Hasidim. He's a Hasid. He's a Hasid of the Bavli. By the way, the Hasidim sometimes do creep into the Mishnah. Eliyo said over here, what are you talking about? I follow the Mishnah. He says, you think I'm going to come to you? Yoshua Ben Levi is his favorite. I think I, I, I reveal myself to those that hand over Jews to the government. He says, what are you talking about? That's what the Mishnah says to do. I follow the Mishnah. It's not, it's not our Mishnah. It's not Mishnah Hasidim. It has a very particular meaning in my view over here. It's not more righteous, less righteous. It's that I don't function with this Mishnah. I have my own Mishnah. I have the Mishnah Hasidim. Before I stop and take comments and questions, I want to just make this point even more clearly. We saw by way of introduction last week and those that were in the sessions that we had earlier in the year about Eliyahu Hanabi, that the character of Eliyahu in the book of Murachim is, is based largely upon Moshe. He basically is brought back to Harsinai, doesn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights, there's a revelation at Sinai, etc. He has a pupil, same as Moshe. He has Elisha, Moshe has Yoshua. So the, the story of Elio Hanavi in the, in the Torah, in the Tanakh, is crafted, is built upon the character of Moshe. Not that they're identical, but it's based upon it. And the text at the end of Malachi, Zikru Torah Moshe Abdi, is one of the last verses. The next verse is, Hanavi. Right, right after we mentioned Moshe's Torah, we mentioned Eliyahu. The claim that I make, which is the core claim of these three sessions, is that Eliyahu is the Moshe figure and that he's a teacher of Torah. But Eliyahu's Torah is not identical to Moshe's Torah or to the Torah of the rabbis. They have the Mishnah. He has his Mishnah, which is Mishnah Chasidim. He has his things that he cares about, his things that he focuses on, etc. And it's coming from somebody who is a, who is a, uh, a, a Chasid. That's the core claim over here. And I want to give a couple of examples that we will encounter. This is one of them. And it's very similar to what we saw last week with, with Ravanan. He stops, he, he's angry at Ravanan because Ravanan, in his view, is guilty of Shochat. What do you mean Shochat? He turned the Shochat down, you recall. He, he doesn't accept it. He doesn't even want to even accept the gift. He accepts the gift at the end because the guy, I'm bringing a gift to a scholar. And then he says, I can't try the case. He sends it off to somebody else who misunderstands why he sends it. And for this, normally you would say, it's unfortunate. I can't blame Ravanan. He did the right thing. That's what we might say. But from Eliyahu's perspective, it's accepting Shochat. The fact that you in any manner, shape, or form convey an impression that you might want to help this person and favor him in some kind of judgment is... Elio Hanavi, such a, such a grievous crime that he simply won't talk to you anymore. You're his pupil. He teaches you, but he stops coming. And same thing over here. He stops coming, and Yoshua ben Levi says, what do you want from me? It's a Mishnah. Follow the, exactly what the Mishnah says to do. Okay, that's your Mishnah. I got a different Mishnah. That's the point over here. Okay, let me stop you for a moment and take comments or questions. And if you're a participant and you can't see a way to unmute yourself, use the raise your hand feature and I'll make sure you can speak freely. No questions in chat. By the way, I would, I would add just one, one thing I would add over here just to get to the larger context over here of this quite well-known case, that actually the rule itself before you get to Sheva ben Bechri, the rule itself is actually 
not so obvious. In other words, the point is they surround the 10 people walking in the, the traveling, 10 travels are, tra are traveling. And they are accosted by these, by these uh, marauders, by these wicked people who say, we're gonna kill all of you, hand over one of you or we'll kill you all. So the, the, the mission is clear, you, you're not permitted to do this and, and they all died. That itself is not so obvious if you think about it from a logical perspective, because the person you're handing over is gonna die anyway. You're not really taking your life in a sense. Nonetheless, you're not permitted to make that choice. Even though at the end of the day, if you were if you had if you had a call and if you had a call at and you would might say to yourself, listen, I can save nine lives. I'm saving nine lives. I'm saving nine out of ten people. Assuming these people are they're going to follow through, but I, I potentially save nine lives. Okay, I'm giving up a life, but that person is dead anyway. So it's not so obvious, actually. And if you multiply, it's not one person in ten, but one in five hundred. You might see where you might make a different decision, but the mission is clear. You're not allowed to do that. That already is something. And then there's even a further jump. And maybe only if they single the person out. And, and Bishlaka says only if the person is actually guilty. But in the case over here of Yeshua ben Levi, the person is guilty. And the person is sought by the government. So Yeshua ben Levi says, I just followed what any rational person would do. I just followed the Mishnah. But for Eliyahu Hanavi, that's, not, that's insufficient. That's not, that's not the way one behaves. No, you, you can't do that. True, the Mishnah says it. It's not Mishnah Hasidim. Okay, let me let's move now to um, let's move. Let's look at the Gemara in Masechet Tanit, that third parak of Tanit, which in fact is the parak of the Hasidim. It's called the chapter of the Hasidim, third parak of Tanit. Many have written about it. Um, actually, my wife Devorah has a long piece on that chapter, a terrific piece on it. Others have written on it as well. The chapter is extraordinarily interesting in terms of this idea of the chassid. But let's take a look at, at one uh, story from the third chapter of Tani, where Elio Hanavi shows up. We have Elio Hanavi. Uh, what's the first line for that, for the part no, of the You have to post it, it's page it's by that one, 22 or 21. I don't have it in front of me. It's on, you should have it there, you can't. Okay. That's it, right there. You got it, right okay, there. Okay, Rabbi Broker. Rabbi Broker. Okay, Rabbi Broker Chosa. This is from Tani, third chapter, the chapter of the Hasidim. Rabbi Broker Chosa, Havoshchiach Beshuka de Beirufat. So there's a story of Rabbi Broker. Rabbi Broker Chosa, that's his name. He would often appear in the market, a place called Beit Rufat. Right. Havoshchiach Eliyahu Gabe. And Eliyo would often appear to him. Remember, the Eliyo of the Babli often appears with various, various scholars. He, he teaches them, he learns with them, etc. Here's another such story. So they're in this marketplace of Beirufat, wherever that may be, and they're schmoozing. Amalei, so our broker says to Eliyo, Ika Bahai Shuka Bar he says, let me ask you something, Elio. Is there somebody in this marketplace who is destined to see a big reward in the, in the, in, in, in the world to come? So Elio's, I'm away low. He says, no, I don't see anybody here who's uh, that special, but a big, big reward in the world to come. But Adahachi Vahachi, Chazalahu Gavra, Davisayim Misane, Uchmi, Rami Chuta, Dichuta, Begwime. There he's, as he's schmoozing with the Elio, he sees a person who is, who is tying his shoes, is wearing black, uh, black shoelaces, and he's not wearing tzitzis. He's not wearing chute de tchilta, refers to tzitzis. So the guy, he's not wearing his tzitzis. And he also wears as black shoelaces, which, is as, which, which Jews don't wear. The famous Gemara in Sanhedrin, which talks about under what conditions you have to give up your life if they threaten you, they tell you must violate something. In a time where there's mass attempt to uh, convert Jews, a few arkada de misani, even they tell you to change your shoelaces. So apparently the Jews had a particular kind of garment, clothing, shoelaces, and they didn't have black shoelaces. So he sees this guy walking in the marketplace with all the other people, 
He's dressed like a non-Jew. He doesn't even have his tzitzis either. On my way, at that point, Eliyahu says to him, Hi bar That guy over there, he, he, he has a portion in the world to come. That one, the guy without the tzitzis and the guy who's dressing like a non-Jew. He's the one, you know, scroll down. But Rod Batres, Rabbi Broker ran after him. Amalei Mayudach. He said, what do you do? Amalei Zirwa Inna Betolamacha. He said to him, go away. Can't talk to you now. Come back tomorrow if you want to talk to me. All right. So he came back the next day. Lomacha Amalei Mayudach. Amalei Zandukna Anna. It means I'm, a, I think, a jail guard at Zandukna. They translated it. Zandukna, no, I believe I'm a, I'm a jail guard. And in this jail, there are men and women. I make sure to separate the men from the women. And I put my bed between them. I sleep between the two sections to make sure that that the men don't, that they don't come to doing something which is forbidden. Ki chazino bat Yisrael, yahavi nachrim Allah, when I see that there's a, a Jewish, a young Jewish woman, and that the non-Jews have their eyes set upon her, masana nafshai umetzilnula, then I jump in, endangering myself, and I save her. One day there was a young girl, a betrothed young woman, and I saw that they were looking at her. I threw some red, some red wine on her clothing. I said, she's menstruating, she's in nida. And they, they, they separated. Fine. This is fine. So this is the story. This is the fellow who has a portion in the world to come. He says, hey, that's, that's the guy. Now, the point is, what is clear from the story and clear from this entire chapter, by the way, as I said before, what you see the re- and what you see and, and, what, and what the reality is are very different. This is the theme that pervades the entire chapter. Because when you see this guy, you say to yourself, who is this guy? I mean, he has, he has, has a portion in the world to come. There's never a reference, by the way, to be any kind of learning or scholarship. Not in these stories. It's the opposite, actually. That in this chapter, often the rabbis, classical rabbis, fail to fail. And it's the simple people, who we think are simple, who are the heroes of the chapter. This is a perfect example of what you think you see and, and the reality of what you see are different. And the point of the story is that well, there are a couple of points, but one of the points is that Elio simply sees the world differently. He singles this, this, this fellow is very special. Now, what, what makes him so special over here? So let's see what, what is so special about him. So there's two things. First of all, he is very strict about, about sexual behavior. That you see straight up. He's, he makes sure to separate the men and the women. That's a big theme in the, in the chapter when it comes to, to, to the Hasidim. They're very modest and chaste in their own behaviors. And the, um, the second thing is that he also is watching out in this case for, for the women, that is to say, the ones who, who are prey to the others. The others are the men, the stronger, the nachrim or whatever it is. And he goes out of his way to, to, to protect them, up, even up to the point of masana nafshai umatsilnuva. I'm Moshe Nefesh. I, I endanger myself in order to save them. So this is the person that from Eliyahu's perspective, this, this guy has a share in the world to come. And the average person, Rabbi Broca, who would often speak to Eliyahu, who represents the rabbinic mind, he, he couldn't possibly see this. He's, he's quite amazed by this. Let's just read a little bit more. Scroll down. Let's read a little more. Yes, yeah, scroll down, Michaela. All right, now let's go. Amalei, stop. Amalei, so he's sorry. We broke and said to him, my time of let one chuti, the ramit misani uchmi. Why do you wear black shoelaces? Jews don't wear those things. Amalei, a yalnov unifikno beni nachri. 
He says, I disguise myself. I present to the world as a non-Jew. I don't want them to know I'm Jewish. Because then I can hear what they're planning to do. Then I can run off to the rabbis who will pray and who will cancel, their prayers will cancel the gzera. When I ask you what you do, why does he come back tomorrow? Because at that point, I had heard about a, something they planned to do. I said, there was an urgent matter which came up. They were planning some kind of decree against the Jews had to run off and tell the rabbis in order that they pray and the, and the prayers will be answered and the decree will be canceled. And here there's another interesting point about the chassid, which is that the chassid actually relies upon prayer. We, all, we probably remember the Mishnah in Brachot, and this is a normal Mishnah actually. The Mishnah talks about prayer, about the Amidah. And the Mishnah says, very unusual, Hasidim harishonim, are you showing shoaachat kodem tefilatan? That the Hasidim, when they would pray the Amida, they would, they would before they started, they would stand for a shah, an hour, an extended period of time, and when they finished their prayers, they would also stop for an hour, which the Gemara said, and they would pray for an hour, three times a day. The Gemara says, if they're praying three times a day for three hours. That's the whole day. It's nine hours a day of prayer. How does anything else get accomplished? Which the Gemara gives the cryptic answer. That's why we call them Hasidim. Uh, the point is the reliance upon prayer, which is the theme that pervades the third chapter of Tanit. Someone who is, as I said, living in a different, different world. It's a world of prayer. It's a world of um, looking out for, for those who are uh, marginalized, whether they're scholars, whether they're just poor people, in this case, women who are under threat. You have to remember that the woman he's talking about is in jail. We're not talking about saints over here. The guy works in a jail. So the people he's protecting are presumed to be, they're in jail for a reason. It's not just innocent people thrown into jail. Some may be innocent, but I don't think we can assume that these are simply innocent people. So for, for, for the standpoint of the Hasidim, Maybe they feel that who is really innocent anyway? You can see with Eliyahu Hanavi has a, the, the rabbis aren't innocent either, right? No one's, no one's innocent. By the way, there is a, a lot of discussion uh, about the third chapter of Tanit in terms of the, um, the view of the world of these Hasidim and some of the core Christian teachings. There's been a lot of discussion about that. And there's no question that there is it's certainly within some of the early Christian writings, some very strong parallels between the Hasidim on one hand and some early Christianity on the other. Uh, it is extreme, there's no question about it. And it's in certain sense, a rejection of, of the world. Um, so my point then is that Eliyahu Hanavi, who appears in these stories, we'll come to another story in a moment. Um, it's a different way to see the world. And I would call it the, the Torah of Eliyahu. And I believe that for this reason, I just guessing, this is a guess. I'm no scholar of Kabbalah. But within the world of Kabbalah, the Kabbalists, and we, we have several, exam many examples of this, where the Kabbalists rely upon something called Gili Eliyahu. It's a revelation of Eliyahu. Eliyahu is telling them what to do. Um, and it strikes me that Gili Eliyahu, for, the, for at least some of the Kabbalists, if not all of them, is a way of saying that we have a Torah. Moshe is the one that gives us the Torah. Moshe gets the gift from God and teaches us the Torah, gives us the Torah. And that Moshe's Torah was sealed. And when Moshe is an interpretive tradition, but the Torah that we got, we got at Sinai, and that's a sealed Torah. And yes, we have the, we have the obligation to keep on interpreting this Torah. But we don't rely upon revelation. Lo right? What do we say? Lo the Torah is not in heaven. 
So there are no more revelations of Torah. Whatever we do now is based upon uh, our own thinking, our own understanding. That may be true in one realm. But for the Kabbalists, they come up with a different concept called Gili Eliyahu, the revelation of Eliyahu. You see the word revelation is used in the story over here. Do you think I reveal, with, with Yeshua ben Levi, you think I reveal myself to those who hand over Jews? So the idea that, not Moshe, but the one based on Moshe, continues to instruct, that's what they call Gili Eliyahu, I think that entire idea, which is very interesting, is rooted in some sense in, in, the, in, the, in the Bavli, but also even in the verses in the, in the, in the, in the Tanakh, where Eliyahu is presented as, as based upon the character of Moshe. Let me just say before I stop again and take comments or questions that what, I'm, what interests me personally in, in these statements in the Talmud and even in, in practice and folklore, I always like to try to see what is it in the biblical text that they're picking up? There's something in these texts, they're picking up on something. Now they take it in a hundred different directions. I'm not suggesting that all of this is implicit in the, in, the, in the biblical text. But I do believe that the tradition, whether it's the tradition of the Mishnah and the Gemara or the Kabbalistic tradition, the Kabbalists don't invent that many things. I mean, they invent stuff, but what they do often is embellish or expand or expand or extend. And in other words, the idea that Elio is a Moses type figure, which appears both in the text in Mulachim and also in Malachi, that's something that the Talmud presumes. And the Talmud then is running with it. And the Talmud is suggesting that actually Elio Hanavi has a different Shulchan Aruch. He has a, he's a different way to see the world. And within our world, there are different kinds of people. There may be Rabbi Akiva and the stars of the Mishnah. That's one kind of leadership. And then there are these other, I would say, otherworldly figures. Hanina Bendosa, Chonia Magel, uh, and many others, many of whom appear in that, in that chapter. And they are just a different way to behave. It's an amazing chapter, actually. It's their chapter of Tanit. So this is a, a good example of that. Let's see, scroll down a bit more. Let's see if there's anything else over here. Yes. Ah, yes, one more, one more story here. Okay, let's read the next story too. Meanwhile, adahachi bahachi means meanwhile. Atu hani treachi. Meanwhile, this Rebroke is still standing in the street with Elio Hanavi. He came back the next day, but he's still there. Omare. So Elio Hanavi says to him, Hanuch nami b'nei those two brothers over there, they also have a stake in the world to come. So Rebroke is there. Azalu gabayu. So a broker went to them. Amalahu, my Daichu. says, What do you two do? Amri Lay, Inshi Beduchi Anan, is a wonderful story. Inshi Beduchi Anan, Mivadchinan Atsivi, Inamiki Hazinan betrayed itru Tigra Badayo, Tachinan Viadin Luhu Shlama. What do you two brothers do? These are two people, the, everybody, no one in the, in the Shuk is so special. But these two guys, these, these two guys have a share in the world to come. He walks over to them. Who are you? Oh, we are, we are comedians. Badchanin. We're, we're jesters, we're jokers. And what do we do? We try to cheer up sad people. We try to cheer up sad people. Inami, additionally, when we see that two people have a dispute, we make an attempt to, to make peace between them. Now here, this is actually quite interesting, I think. Um, it's very interesting. I mean, yes, we know about Jewish humor, you know what I mean? <laughs> Jewish humor, I mean, you know, Freud has a book about jokes, jokes and the unconscious. And what jokes are often about, actually, is about a different way to see the world. In other words, what the joke is, we're used to seeing the world one way. And the joke suddenly is about someone who sees the world one way is suddenly saying, telling us implicitly that he sees the world a very, a very different way. And what he said before is not the real way he sees the world, but he sees the world other. I'll give you one example of one of Freud's jokes in his book about jokes. He explains the jokes. And it strikes me that this is actually related to the story over here. The story, by that I mean, 
they see that, that the Joker, the jo these two Jokers have a share in the world. They're seeing the world in a different way. And I'll give you one example. Freud is, most of Freud's jokes are about, many are about, uh, about matchmaking, the Shadchan. The Shadchan brings this fellow to the house to meet his prospective bride. He's never met her before. He's blind, you know, he's gonna meet the prospective bride. So he walks into this house, beautiful house, and the, 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 uh, the Shadchan turns to him and says, look at this house. Look at the, look at the, look at, look at, look what's in this, in this break front. Look at the beautiful gold and silver Kiddush cups and Havdullah things and all this beautiful gold. So the, so the guy says to the, uh, the guy, the, the prospective groom says to the Shadchan, it is very beautiful, but how do I know what's actually theirs? Maybe for the occasion, they went to the neighbors and borrowed all, all these things. So the Shadchan says, are you kidding? Who would give these people anything? And um, so Freud's, Freud's analysis is very good. Freud's analysis is, the Shachan is, is, is always lying because he always wants to, make, wants to make the deal, wants to close the deal. Once he sees the objection though, he can actually tell with the truth what he really thinks, you know? And the contrast between what, he, what we say and what we actually think, that's, that's, that's one of the main points for Freud about that. That's, that's where this joke is. The joke is, not, not the way I've been saying I see things, but let me tell you the truth, you know? And then we laugh because we recognize the contrast between what he's been saying, look how wonderful. And then he says, the guy objects, are you kidding? Who are these? No one would give these people anything. So the point is that the, the badchen is actually very interesting because perhaps it plays into what I mentioned earlier about seeing the world in a different way. They're, and they're cheering up the people that are sad. So that's the point, to, to help the people that are down and out. That's the Eliyahu of the, of the Bavli. And then we have something additional, which is very striking, which is, and they say, and when we see two people with a fight, we make an attempt to make peace. And here I think what the Bavli is picking up on is the Eliyahu that appears not so much in the, in the book of Mulachim, but the Eliyahu that appears at the very end, the last verses of the book of Malachi. The last verses. And it says, He will reconcile the parents and the children. So the Elio Hanavi, who someday will find a way to reconcile, it's Lavdafka parents and children. It can be that, it can be any other kinds of disputes. And sometimes these disputes are very difficult to reconcile. We see no way to reconcile them, actually. But the Elio of Malachi, with the last verses of our prophetic writings. The last verses that Malachi is the last prophetic book. And here, they, again, they, they, when we see two people, they didn't invite us. We, 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 we put ourselves in the situation, Tarchina, we worked very hard to make peace. So the idea of, uh, this is the one that Elio says, this is very special people. They, they go out of their way to console the, the people that are sad. They go out of their way to try to find a way to reconcile people. And they do this with, 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 with jokes, with gestures. We know the gesture often speaks the truth, but the gesture speaks the truth in a way that can be accepted. It's only gesture, but there's a, but there's a truth to it. So this is actually, of course, in the same chapter, in the third chapter of Tanit. And I think it's, again, picking up on something that we see about Elio, if not in the book of Mulachim, which certainly takes on a different uh, uh, role, but in the book of Malachi. Before I just stop to take comments or questions, I would say that the Elio of the Bavli and the Yerushalmi, we can see this straight up. He's not a warm, fuzzy person. That's, a, that's, that's totally not right. He is, he is he's, as he is in the, in the, in the, in the uh, Tanakh, He's an extreme, the Hasidim are extreme. These are extremists. Of a, a, they're just operating on a different, a different wavelength. So he is extreme, but he doesn't have the, and, and he also obviously has a bit of a temper because when you cross him one time, he doesn't come back. He stops teaching. He, he can get very angry. He's, he, has a, he has a real temper. You do something he thinks that's not right. He says, he doesn't come. And finally you pray, he comes back. I'm going to come back to informers, he says. Talking to his best friend, informers, Masorot and Masorot and Nigla. But you see over here that um, 
you see that basically they're picking up on what his view of the world is. And the people that he respects are those people that are defending the, those that are powerless, whether they're women in very dangerous situations, whether they're people that are very depressed or sad, whether they're poor scholars. I'll mention one story that I did make a photo set of, and then I'll stop and take comments or questions. We all know the story of, of, of Rabbi Akiva. So the different versions of Rabbi Akiva's story. In one, in Tractate Nadarim, he marries his, his Rachel, his wife, and his father will objects because Rabbi Akiva is not a scholar and whatever. It seems to be rather down and out. So his father-in-law was like one of the richest people of Kabbalah he sort of refuses to give him or his wife any, any money. So they're, they're sleeping inside a manger in a, in, a, in a barn and they have no blankets or anything like that. So they're sleeping there, but they have some straw there. So they're sleeping on the straw. And also somebody knocks on the door of the, and they're really down and out. Then somebody knocks on the door. Say, we owe Hanavi. Disguised as somebody else. He opened his disguise. He says, excuse me, we really, we really, me and my wife, I think he says his wife, I don't know if he's ever married, but he says, me and my wife, if you could please spare some straw for us. We have no straw to sleep on. At which, at which point his wife says to Rabbi Akiva, you see, the people worse off than we are. We're not, we're not so bad. And that's what she says to him, why don't you go learn for 12 years? That's the story. So he actually is the one who gets who encourages, as it were, Rachel, Rabbi Akiva's wife, she says, no, it's not so bad. We, we're not so bad off. Why don't you go learn? And that's, she sends him off to be Rabbi, becomes Rabbi Akiva, the great Rabbi Akiva. So there's Elio also. And he disguises himself as a very poor person. And he's, he's concerned about, he sees the great potential in Rabbi Akiva. And he, and he, and he comes in there and says, can you spare a little straw? It's another story of Elio. There are many, many stories of Elio Hanavi. I want to get to one more. What, what, how much time do we have here? Uh, it's 2 p.m. It's the top of the hour and there are yeah. people with questions. Uh, let me, let's stop and take some comments or questions then. All right, I'm just gonna share two quick ones from chat. First, a note from Elena Lubin saying that Eliyahu is not a warm, fuzzy person. I wouldn't imagine a jail guard would be either. And right. generally are not either. Right, I would imagine he's not also, right. And from earlier in class, Jack Wasserman asks, is Eliyahu like a quote, grand Hasid? different from other Hasidim righteous people? Well, my, my point about the Hasidim is, I wouldn't translate righteous people. I mean, they are righteous in a way. You know, the one, I, I knew a modern day Hasid, actually. I call him a modern day Hasid. He died a few years ago. His name was Menachem Fruman. And if you knew Menachem Fruman, he was a rabbi of Tekoa. He lived on a different wavelength. He simply lived on a different wavelength. He's a guy who had to go to Haifa. He's in Tekoa. He walks to the Trampiata. He has no money in his pockets. Zero. He stands there and somehow he's going to get to Haifa and get back. He's going to go to Haifa. Not, not, a, not a shekel in his pocket. Walks there, maybe he's wearing his trillin. And you know what? He always got them. He always got back somehow. Don't ask me how. But the point is, is he a right winger? Is he a left winger? He's not a right winger or a left winger. He's a chassid. He's, he's just... He sees the world in a different way. He's, he's not functioning the way we function. And that's what I'm talking about. It's not, Rabbi Akiva was a righteous man. And he had some Hasidic leanings too, by the way, but he's not a Hasid. Khalila Bendosa is a Hasid. Right with the vinegar. Doesn't burn. What do you mean doesn't burn? The one who makes the oil burn will make the vinegar burn. <laughs> What's the difference, right? He's bitten by a snake and the snake dies. Woe to the snake that bites Khalila Bendosa. In operating in a different, seeing the world in a different way. And my point about Elio Hanavi is that it's a different kind of Torah. I will get to this next week as well. And then I wanted to get back to, it's a big topic. So I wanted to get back to a different piece of Elio. The main piece I wanted to emphasize was that he's based on Moshe as a kind of lawgiver or teacher of Torah. But the Torah that he's teaching is not the same as the, what we call Torah Shabbat Peh. It's not, it's, he has a different Mishnah. He has a Mishnah as Hasidim. And you, when you read the stories of Elio, you begin to get a sense of what he actually values. What for him is central to, to 
to he understands the uh, religious life. And it's not identical to, there are points of tangency, it's related, but it's not identical to, uh, to the standard Torah that we would speak of. So my point about, I, wouldn't, I would say he's a chassid in the, in the sense of the Talmudic sense of a chassid. And there are the different stories. Maybe next week we'll end with, I can't, I know, I can't sing over Zoom, but on, on Motei Shabbat, of course, we have Mulava Malka. And one of the critical figures of, of Mulava Malka is and one of the songs that's typically sung, and there are very, several very good nigunim for it, is a little poem that's recited by many Saturday night, Ish Chasid Haya. Ish Chasid Haya. If we, if we were together in a room, I would actually sing it at the end because it's a very, it's a perfect story about Elio Hanabi. How he watches out for the, there's the poor person and the poor scholar. How he watches out. And there are other pieces to it as well. Which we'll get to next week. So I'd say yes, righteous, yes, but in a, in a more in a particular sense of righteousness of the Ish Chasidia. So next week, I have to figure out what we'll do next time. There's one more Gemara I wanted to show you, which again is the same idea of he's a different kind of a Mishnah. And then we'll talk about some other element of Eliyahu. There are actually many elements, but one of them is the person who was a bridge between earth and heaven. That's the Eliyahu Hanavi. Maybe we'll get to that piece of Eliyahu next week. Uh, and there are other things as well. Um, okay, so we'll stop at this point. Are there any comments is or it, questions? Anything is it else? possible? Is it possible that, as as in this last few psukim in Malachi, that it is a tension between chukim and mishpatim? It's a tension between absolute din and chesed. It's the tension of um, the the parent and the child, where what is absolutely wrong. And if you don't find that balance, then So somehow or other, um, Elijah's role is to find a way, um, uh, I think, uh, also to bridge that essential tension between absolutes, total right and wrong, and some and humanity. Right, but I would say that I, I agree with that, and we'll see that there's actually a mission of the last, it's interesting, Malachi is the last prophetic writing. The last Mishnah, as we have it, is Tractate Eduyot, and the last Mishnah in Tractate Eduyot is about Elio Hanavi. I don't think that's an accident. I would say one thing in terms of what Chaim's comment is, and that is that I agree that is the sense one gets in the last verses of the prophetic writings, Peshiv Levavot Abanim. But you certainly don't get that sense of Eliyahu when you read the book of Mulachim. You have over there a person who is very clear about right and wrong. People are idolatry. There's no rain. He makes this pronouncement in the very beginning of his career. No one told him to do that. No one asked him to do it. It's all, it's all black and white. And I think what he learns within the biblical text is that the world is not black and white, that it's much more complicated than that. And maybe the rabbinic tradition picks up with that and moves them to a different place. But we'll next week we'll unfortunately the last session, we but we'll see what we can do in terms of addressing this issue and then looking at this other part of the sort of the peacemaker, which is what he becomes. And he appreciates these two brothers and the two brothers. It's interesting it's two brothers by the way, because what is the in the book of in, in our tradition in Breshit, where do the great where are the great conflicts? They're between brothers, right? The first brother, Cain and Hebel. Joseph and his brothers, Yaakov and Esau. So in the Chumash, brothers is where you have the conflict, actually. And these are two brothers who managed to some find a way to actually get along. Which certainly in the Torah, you, it's very difficult to do that. Joseph and his brothers is a story that it's all about brotherly conflict. Uh, but we'll pick up next week with this, with this idea. Um, okay, so we'll stop at this point. Thank you very much. Looking forward to next week and completing this little mini series on Eliyahu. All right, thank you everyone for joining. Uh, if you have questions for Rabbi Silber that come up after class, you can reach him by email at dsilber at drisha.org. And if you want to learn more with Drisha, there's two upcoming things I'd like to highlight. First, coming up this Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern time will be our, our annual 22nd, 2022 Renee and Alexander Bow Memorial Lecture. Uh, this year, this year, the topic is 
uh, As a Deep River Rises, Jewish Law, Theology, and Environmental Ethics by Rabbi Dr. Ariel Evan Mace. And we also have upcoming at the, in the last week of December is Grisha's Winter's Mon, which will be held over Zoom. And you can find out more about the, 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 option, the learning options at winter.grisha.org. Thank you, everyone. Right. I want to add those should be two very interesting. Good, good maze is very interesting, and the uh, last week should be quite interesting. That intention should be looking forward to that myself. Okay, thank you all. See you soon. Take care, everyone.